We'll begin at verse 17. It's a, it's a little bit extended, but I want you to see what all is going on here. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll begin at verse 17. Let's read it together, shall we? So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. It's not going to come as any great revelation for me to tell you that you are surrounded every day by the attitudes, the beliefs, and the values of a secularist society. There's not a day goes by but that every person listening to this message right now doesn't have to make hundreds of decisions, either consciously or unconsciously, about how you're going to react and how you're going to respond to the pressures of this age. Every day you are confronted with a decision, how shall we live? The Bible talks about how believers are supposed to have peace that passes understanding. It says that the walk of faith is to be joy inexpressible and full of glory. It says that people of faith are supposed to live as an overcomer. And it all sounds so grand and glorious, until you try to put it into practice. <clears throat> you know how it goes. You sing it on Sunday. <clears throat> you practice it through Tuesday. And then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, it seems like you spring a leak and the whole thing runs out. The problem with most people in the church is they may be running on empty, but they put on as though they really have it all together. On the outside, you appear one way, but deep down on the inside, you feel another. Yeah. 
there's a discrepancy between the head and the heart. We live in a time when Christian values are mocked. We live in a time when Christianity is ridiculed as old-fashioned, out of touch, and irrelevant. We live in a time when those who claim to be Christians are marginalized. And in this climate, it's easy to feel like nobody ever had it quite as bad as you have it today. But when you look at the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, you find that this struggle you face isn't really that new and it isn't really that uncommon. At the time of the writing of this letter, the Apostle Paul had been arrested. He was undergoing difficult times. And from a prison cell, he wrote this letter to the church at Ephesus to tell them how they should live. His instructions to that first century church become instructions to followers of Jesus today in the 21st century church. Now, when you read this letter, you need to remember that ancient Ephesus was a city teeming with thousands of people. It was a thriving seaport town that was the capital of Asia Minor. In Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world in its temple of Diana, who was the Roman goddess of fertility. Worship of Diana demanded every sort of licentious, immoral, and carnal activity. Consequently, Ephesus was a pornography center. It was filled with brothels and red light districts and halls of prostitution. Ephesus was an X-rated city. It was a wicked city. And as you can imagine, it was tough to live godly and righteously in that city, in that kind of an atmosphere. It was tough to raise kids with Christian values in that city. It was tough to educate children with any sense of morality in that city. It was tough to conduct business according to Christian ethics in that city. But right in the midst of this secular, hedonistic society, Paul writes to the believers and tells them the kind of lifestyle you should live while you're in Ephesus isn't like the prevailing culture. Instead, the way you're going to be able to please the Lord and continue to be a follower of Jesus is if you live the transformed life. In the section that forms the text for the message today, Paul here gives three characteristics of this transformed life that I want to talk to you about today. Beginning in verse 17, he says that the first thing you have to learn is that you have to live a distinctive life. Live distinctively. If you're going to be the kind of people God would have you to be, then you've got to live differently than the world lives. You have to have a different set of attitudes, a different set of beliefs, a different set of values. Followers of Jesus aren't to live like the unbelievers live. They are futile in their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They are separated from the life of God. And that separation comes because of their ignorance, he says, which is due to the hardness of their hearts. They've lost their sensitivity. They've given themselves over to lust, and, and they've involved themselves in unbridled impurity with a continual lust for more. They've gotten conditioned to violence and immorality and following a path that is 
ignores God until they think this is normal. Does that sound familiar to anybody? That, see, that's the kind of lifestyle that's around you in this world. But then he says, beginning in verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Then in verse 22, he says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Literally, strip yourself of your former nature. You put off and discard your old, unregenerate self. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh spiritual and mental attitude. Put on the new nature, the regenerate self that is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. If you're going to live the transformed life, then you're going to have to live distinctively from the society around you. While they are slandering and gossiping, you're going to refrain from bad-mouthing your coworker. While they're spiteful, you're going to refrain from holding a grudge against someone who has done you wrong. While they are selfish, you're going to refrain from an attitude that puts me first, regardless of who gets hurt in the process. When they are vindictive, you're going to refrain from doing unto others before they can do unto you. Come on, somebody. Instead of following the godless and unrighteous path of this world system, you're going to cultivate love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and meekness and faithfulness and self-control. Listen, this world doesn't want to see more churches. They want to see Jesus in our churches. The way this world is going to have Jesus revealed to them is through your life. When his life is lived in you and through you, then the world will see what it's really all about, and that's what's going to change the world. Not only must you live distinctively, but the second thing Paul talks about is that you have to live a dynamic life. Live dynamically. It's, it's in verses 23 and 24. He says, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now that word dynamic means to have power. It means to have flow. It means to have change. Uh, it means to have energy. When Jesus came into your life, he gave you the energy of a new kind of life. See, <laughs> the deal is there are so many who come to Jesus and then don't live by the new self. They continue to live by the old self. That's why verse 22 says to lay aside or reject the old self. You can't live that way any longer. You have to reject the old self. You can't just keep playing around with the old self. You can't coddle the old self. You oh, help me, Jesus. You can't keep going back to the old self. You, you've got to reject that. Then verse 23 says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So after you reject the old self, then you renew your mind. See, the greatest battleground is the mind. 
your greatest struggle is your mind. The biggest problem you have is about six inches. It's the area located between your two ears. That's the beginning place. Your mind, your thoughts, the way you think, the things you choose to dwell on, the things you meditate on, the things you buy into, and the attitudes you embrace, and the truths you believe. When you reject the old self and renew your mind, you're going to have to renew your mind. How do you do that? Well, that means that you're going to have to take out the old stuff and put in some new stuff. And if you're having trouble taking out the old stuff, just keep putting in the new stuff, and the new stuff will eventually take over the old stuff. When you reject the old self and you renew your mind, then verse, verse 24 says to reprogram your life. He says, put on the new self. And, and I want to tell you, it's not just a new program, it's an entire new operating system. <laughs> it's a completely different way of thinking, of speaking, and of walking. It's a different set of priorities. It's a different approach to life. It's a different set of values. When the Bible talks about the dynamic of this transformed life, it's talking about, first of all, a dynamic style. Over and over again in the Bible, you find men and women undergoing persecution. They are deported from their homeland. Families are separated, all for the cause of the gospel. But you never see a negative note. You don't see them depressed or worrying or fearful. All you see is a dynamic power of that new self that comes from the transformed life. See, that style doesn't deny the problems. It isn't oblivious and naive to the adversities. But it's a style that refuses to worry about what could happen or what might happen or even about what does happen. Instead, it places full trust in an almighty God who is sovereign over all. It places confidence in a God who does all things well. The dynamic style God is trying to bring you into is one that rises up and lets the world know that you don't live by the circumstances, but you live life by the word. No matter what comes or what goes, you live by the word of the living God. The style he's trying to bring you into is one where you say with Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Listen, when Jesus, who is the eternal word of God, comes alive within you and you begin to live your life by that word, then there's nothing in this world that can defeat you because he has overcome the world and greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Not only is it going to take a dynamic style, it's also going to take a dynamic spirit. That's what he's talking about when he says through the prophet in Ezekiel 36 and 25, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The only way you'll ever be able to live the dynamic style is if you are empowered to do it by the Holy Spirit. I mean... Think about this. Even Jesus himself lived his life here on this earth through the power of the Spirit. 
The Bible says that following his time of testing and temptation in the wilderness, Jesus returned and began ministering in the power of the Spirit. What you need to know today is that the same, oh, thank you, Jesus, the same Spirit that worked in Jesus is available to you to enable you to live that dynamic style. That's what it means in Romans 8 and 11 when it says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. When you live your life by the Spirit, then you don't measure your life by how high you are on the business ladder. You don't measure your life by how high you are on the management ladder. Oh, it's wonderful for you to achieve. It's wonderful for you to get ahead. You need to go as high and as far as you can possibly go. But I want to tell you, that's not your measure of success. That's not the ladder you're on. You're on Jacob's ladder, climbing higher and higher. And every rung brings you closer to your ultimate destination. When you live by the spirit that is in you, then you're able to cut through all the garbage. And God can bring you into the power of his glory not only does it take a dynamic style and a dynamic spirit but it also takes a dynamic system a dynamic system everybody doing okay today according to Deuteronomy 8 3 man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God so this system means you live by the word According to John 5 and 24, Jesus says, Everybody that has heard my word and believed the one who has sent me shall not be condemned. He has passed from death to life. So you live through faith. According to 1 John 3 and 1, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. So you live in love. According to Philippians 1 and 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So you live for Christ. Listen, the way you defeat Satan... The way you overcome the pressure of the world, the way you rise above the problems, the way you get down the highway every morning, the way you get the victory over the problems and pressures of this age is right here. You say, I have a system. That system is, I live by the word. I live through faith. I live in love and I live for Christ. And when you put all of that together in your heart and you seal it by the power of the Holy Spirit, then it is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the day of redemption and you step on Satan's head and you bruise all the imps and demons of the world and you lay claim to a victory that is overpowering in each and every situation. Somebody, come on, give him praise if you believe that. Listen, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's time you stopped measuring yourself by how you feel. Sure, 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 feelings are important. Feelings need to be handled. But God doesn't operate his business on feelings. He operates his business on one fact, that while you're in this world, you've got to be a pilgrim. You've got to be a stranger. There's a reason you don't feel comfortable in this world. This world is not your home. 
Your job is to shed some light and help the world find the help they need because your big day isn't here. Your big day doesn't come on this earth. Your big day comes at the marriage supper of the Lamb when you get around the throne of God and you rule and reign with Him. And until that day comes, you invade this world and take it for Jesus. You boldly proclaim the truth of God's Word in the power of the Spirit. You tear down the strongholds of Satan, which are built out of lies and deceit. Living the transformed life means you live distinctively. You live dynamically. And then third, it means that you're to live developing. What you need to understand is that living a spiritual life is a process. You don't get it all in one shot. You don't come forward and have somebody lay hands on you and suddenly gain the full stature of spiritual maturity. Don't you wish it worked that way? But it's a continual growth. It's a continual development. You know, most people don't really like 2 Corinthians 9 and 10 where it says to increase in the fruits of righteousness. Most people have a hard time with Hebrews 6 and 2 when it says let us go on to maturity. Most people find it difficult to get a handle on 2 Peter 1 verses 5 through 7 to add to your faith, goodness, and to your goodness, knowledge, and to your knowledge, self-control, to your self-control, perseverance, to your perseverance, godliness, to your godliness, brotherly kindness, and to your brotherly kindness, love. So what the Lord wants to do today is reach to you right where you are, take you by the hand, and bring you through a process to get you where he wants you to be through the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work in your life. See, beginning at verse 25... Paul talks about this process of development. First of all, he says to develop in truth. He says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Let me just tell you something real quick. You can't begin to do what God would have you to do until you get honest. Paul begins by saying that even though you're living in a land of mistrust, you must trust. You're living in a land of evil, but you be good. You're living at a time when people no longer bear the responsibility of truth, but you be truthful. In, first John, or in John 17 and 17, Jesus prayed, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. In Proverbs 23 and 23, the wisdom writer said, buy the truth and sell it not. See, in order to live the transformed life, you're going to have to be honest with yourself. Quit pretending you're good when you're violating God's word about bad attitudes. Let me just go ahead and meddle a little bit. Quit pretending you're good when you're violating God's moral laws. Quit pretending everything's all right when you're struggling with the bottle, and you're hooked on pills, and you crave the weed. I'll just go ahead and say a few more things. <laughs> Quit pretending everything's fine when you're addicted to food. And the nicotine, oh, see, you didn't like that part, did you? I was doing good till I got to your refrigerator. <laughs> Quit pretending it's fine when you're addicted to food and to nicotine and to pornography and to dead-end relationships. Quit pretending all is well when you're holding a grudge 
and holding on to unforgiveness over something that happened years ago. Pastor, that's so good, boy. I would just wish you'd just go ahead and bear down there. Nope, can't do it. Got to go on. You can't live the transformed life and you can't receive the help you need from the Lord until you are truly honest with yourself. After truth, then Paul writes that there should be development in self-control. Y'all were shouting pretty good until I got to this section of the message. And he says, beginning in verse 26, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, the definition of anger is an acute chronic sense of frustration due to the delay of gratification. What that simply means is that when you don't get what you want, you get angry. When you don't get it the way you want it, you get angry. And when you don't get it when you want it, you get angry. You get this sense of frustration that builds up. And so you have to decide what to do with it. Well, there's several things. I mean, you can submerge it, stick it deep down in your psyche, just you know, kind of put it way back. Well, when you do that, it will come out you know, in hives or high blood pressure or ulcers or headaches, but, but you can do that. I mean, just, just squelch it. Or with your anger, you can explode. Now, that will cost you a lot of money because it's a new set of dishes every month. Anybody ever exploded? Anybody ever? Don't, don't raise your hand. Lost control? Why did you look over at the person beside you when, when I asked that question? The Bible gives a better way. I got to tell you this. I, I, this. This just popped into my mind. Years ago, there was a couple, and they were, they were known for being rather expressive in their relationship. And one night, they got into this just, sure enough, dog-cat fight. I mean, they were going at it. And finally, the guy just said, I got to get it. He left and went into the bedroom, slammed the door just in time when the wife had picked up a can of tomatoes, stewed tomatoes or something like that, and threw it. It hit the door, burst, and there was tomatoes everywhere, and they had to spend the <laughs> it, it dissipated the anger because then they had to spend the next 45 minutes cleaning up tomato juice out of everything, you know. So you just got to watch that. See, the Bible gives a better way. He says, be angry and do not sin. Don't give the devil that kind of a foothold. See, the problem isn't that you get angry. Anger is a good human emotion. The problem is how you handle the anger. It's a problem of control. You must control it so that it doesn't control you. Well, that sounds pretty good, Pastor. So how do I do that? Well, you're going to have to refocus that anger. All right, Pastor, where do I refocus it? Well... Refocus it into praise. <laughs> you say, well, praise God forever. He's cussing me out. <laughs> praise God forever. It's going down the tubes. Praise God. It's a terrible day. It's a great gloomy day. But this is the day the Lord has made. Listen, listen, listen. 
you can refocus it into praise. You can do that because praise isn't dependent on the circumstances. But praise is a decision of the will. Praise is a faith acknowledgement that God is still sovereign over all this world no matter what the circumstances are. Refocus the anger into praise. Then refocus it into prayer. Instead of allowing your emotions to take control and override your reason, pray and ask God to help you. Now, I want to tell you, prayer doesn't always have to be words spoken. But prayer is the intense desire and focus of the heart. Prayer is the submission of your will to the will of the Heavenly Father. Then refocus it into productivity. Maybe you, maybe you do have to confront the person. Maybe you do have to talk to him. But, but what you need to do before you do that is you need to recognize what you're feeling as anger and call it as anger and not call it something else. And you can't blame it on somebody else because it's your feeling. So own it. If you're not going to own it, you can't do anything with it. See, that's part of the problem. It, it, it's always somebody else did it. You know, the kids caused it. The wife caused it. The car caused it. I didn't have enough sleep. It's the medication I'm taking. It's the nerves. It's the pressure I'm under. I love this one. It's just my disposition. I was born this way. That's a lot of rubbish. That's a sanctified word to use right there. You did it. You own it. You be responsible for it. See, once that happens, once you do that, then you can put yourself into the plan of the Holy Spirit. That's why it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Do something about it. Don't let it fester. Don't let it become resentment. Don't let it become bitterness. If you want to know what it's going to take to really live this transformed life in Jesus, first of all, you got to learn this self-control. So you handle anger and conflicts without violence or destruction. Second, it's going to take patience. Now, aren't you glad I said that? You've got to foster the ability Watch this. You've got to foster the ability to forego the short-term gratification in order to get the long-term gain. Third, it's going to take perseverance. You've got to sweat it out in spite of the opposition and in spite of the setbacks. Get it out of your head that it's going to be easy street. I don't know where we got this idea. You come to Jesus and every problem is going to be over. And you just coast on your way into glory. You didn't get it out of the word. Fourth, it's going to, I, I, I can't spend, my time is up. I, I, give, me, give me three more minutes and I'll quit this. Fourth, it's going to take unselfishness. This is where you minister to the needs of others. Not to get anything in return, but just because there's joy in seeing the other promoted. If you're going to live this life as a follower of Jesus, what it really means is that you're going to have to be able to handle the disappointments, the irritations, and the negatives without bitterness or resentment. Now, it'd be bad if I just quit right there. The reality is you can't do this by yourself. The only way that can happen is if you take all your hurts, 
all your frustrations, all your difficulties, all your anxieties, and bring them to Jesus. Bring all the problems to Jesus and lay them at his feet. God is looking for people who will follow him, people who believe the truth of the word and whose life reflects that truth. People who will live a distinctive life. People who will live a dynamic life. People who will live a developing life. People who will become productive in the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, there's so much more there, but I I have to quit my time. You know, that's the thing. You you just have time constraints. There's only so much you can do, and then you've got to close the Bible and say, we'll come back next week and do something else. Today, I want to invite you to bring all your burdens to the Lord and just leave them at his feet. If there's an area where you don't yet have it all together, then this invitation is for you. You just confess that weakness to the Lord. You receive his strength and the help of his presence. I want to tell you today, he has grace for every need. Every need. Let's stand together, shall we?